Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Chris Bailey. Chris is a productivity expert and the international best-selling author of The Productivity Project and Hyperfocus, which have been published globally in 20 languages. He is also the author of the Audible original, How to Train Your Mind, and is currently writing a third book on how calm helps our productivity. Along with his wife, Chris is the host of the podcast, Time and Attention, and writes a column at alifeofproductivity.com, which is read by tens of thousands of people every week. In the episode, Chris discusses what it means to be productive, how to boost productivity, what to do when procrastination gets in the way, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hey, how are you? Good to be here. Good, good to have you. I know you're calling from Ottawa. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned you looked outside and you said it's a sunny day. Is that atypical for Ottawa? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh. Very much so. Well, oh. well, we have a volatile climate like uh, like you do over there, I think, now. And so some days it's... well. Okay, these these degrees are in Celsius, so I I don't I'm not smart enough to calibrate them on the fly. It, it, some days it's like 40 degrees Celsius, which is probably like 200 Fahrenheit. I don't know how Fahrenheit works. <laughs> probably not 200. Uh, then it goes down to like 20. So it, mm. it's a wacky uh, roller coaster of weather here in in sunny Ottawa. It's good to join you. Yeah, uh, I mentioned I live in Oakland. It's pretty sunny there every day. But we're currently dog-sitting for friends in San Francisco. And every time I come into San Francisco, I'm cold, even in the summer. So as you see, I'm in a sweatshirt now. I brought all these warm clothes. And then I was walking the dog yesterday and just sweating because (laughs) it was so hot. So I feel you. It's hard to keep track of California always uh, surprises me a bit with how cold it is, especially like San Fran. I'm always surprised. It's colder than here. But it's so much colder. Anyway, wait a minute. Nobody's it does also <laughs> depend on where you are yeah. in San Francisco. You know, like there's the sunny yeah. parts, there's the perpetually foggy parts. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, California is bizarre. I would say, I mean, we're really spoiled with weather here mm-hmm. compared to, I used to live in New York City and I loved it oh. there, but I mean, the, the summers Weather-wise, are hot and humid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the weather's are, the weather's not the best. Not the best. Well, anyway, uh, t- can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically mm-hmm. what led you to become interested in and start writing books about productivity and focus and mm-hmm. calming your mind? 
Yeah, well, it's not really something that most people are passionate about, which is this idea of personal productivity. But for some reason, I've always been super, super curious about this idea of just getting as much as we possibly can out of what limited time we have every day. Because uh, we have a lot of different resources and ingredients to manage in our life. We have uh, our attention, we have capacity, we have uh, uh, energy, we have anxiety, we have calm, we have all these resources to manage. But the one that we don't get more of typically is time, right? Time is, is kind of the fuel that, that we move forward with. Uh, and so this is something that's been at the back of my mind for forever. So I, I've always had the mindset, okay, how can we get more out of what limited time we have every day, manage that ingredient alongside the others to not, you know, I, I think some people come at this idea of productivity with this uh, mindset of getting more and more uh, pure, unadulterated accomplishment. Ah. Um, but my, my whole take is productivity exists so that we can get more time for the things that are meaningful for us, uh, whether that's people, maybe that is accomplishment, maybe that is, you know, being a badass at work and then getting everything under control at home. Whatever the conditions, the constraints, the situations of our existence, of our life, of our work that we want to make happen, I think that's what productivity is for. So uh, it all started uh, around a decade ago where I graduated from university with a few full-time job offers, but I thought there's ever a time to experiment with something I'm actually curious about. It was then. Uh, so I declined the jobs, um, which was a tough decision to explain to family, <laughs> grandparents, that sort of thing, people, yeah. those sort of people at the time. Yeah, they're typically uh, not on board with that. Yeah. No, no. And I think like looking back, um, pretty much the only person that was besides myself was my then girlfriend, now wife. Arden, who supported me from the uh, day zero, she said, uh, you know, I remember her saying that um, if you don't do this, you'll regret it for a long time. We'll make things work and we'll figure it out. Uh, and sure enough, <laughs> you know, 11 years later, here we are. So uh, basically, it's curiosity that drives pretty much everything I do. Uh, yeah. And I feel like the luckiest person in the world to experiment with the research behind these topics, because I think the advice we act on should be rooted in research or else what's it rooted in? Is it rooted in wishful thinking? Is it rooted in something else? So science-backed, evidence-backed strategies for how we should live our life in order to accomplish more of what we intend to do. That's my whole approach. That's my whole game. That's what I find uh, above all else just completely fascinating um, and love to write about it. I love that you said you your goal is to really help people be more productive so they can do more of what they want to do. And you yeah. said, yeah, maybe that is more work. But also maybe it's cooking or hanging out with friends or reading or yeah. exercising. And I work as a nutrition coach and a weight loss coach outside of this podcast. And a constant issue I kind of work with my clients on is the time management piece because yeah. they will say things like, Oh, I just don't have enough time to make a meal for myself. Or I don't have enough time to go for a walk. And I think, do you know, James clear, the author? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah he's 
Atomic Habits. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> great stuff. But I think he said something. I'm gonna botch it. That you don't have a you don't have too few too few hours in a day problem. You have a time management issue, and so kind of figuring out how to make the hours of the day work for you better, so that you have leftover time for the things you want to do. Uh, so what, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you, yeah. you talked about evidence back, like let's yeah. start first with kind of productivity and time management. What are your first go-to yeah. kind of changes in habits or how you think about your day so that you can mm -hmm. start finding time for the things that you want to do? Yeah. Well, I think step zero is defining what productivity even means in the first place. Cause you know, we throw around the, the term productivity and uh, a lot of what comes to mind for a lot of people is something that feels uh, so cold and corporate and all about uh, boiling our life down to a spreadsheet and efficiency and effectiveness, whatever these terms actually mean, because you ask different uh, management consultants and people of, of that nature, and everybody will tell you something different. Um, but to me, productivity comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that's intentionality. And so step zero is defining productivity. In my opinion, after researching this topic for a while, uh, for quite some time now, is we're perfectly productive when we accomplish the things that we set out to do. Uh, and so if you intend to relax on a beach somewhere with a couple pina coladas, one for each hand, and you do, I would argue that you're perfectly productive in that situation because you accomplish the thing that you set out to do. Same is true if you intend to have a, a big day at work, catch up with 200 emails, have a bunch of meetings, write a 1,000 word report, and so on. Uh, and then you do, I would argue you're perfectly productive in that situation too. Um, and, and so if you're looking at you know, evidence-based strategies for becoming more productive. You know, first of all, there's a lot of limitations to the research that does exist. Uh, so there, there is a smaller surface area with research of productivity that, uh, you know, kind of makes it more difficult to wade through the research on these topics than, than others. But I think you do have to start by zooming out. You know, what does productivity mean? It's about intention. And so, if you then define productivity as following through with the things that we intend to accomplish, then you have to look, okay, what are the different ingredients that influence how much we're able to accomplish every day and whether or not we accomplish the things that we set out to do? And so then you zoom out to uh, kind of this constellation of topics and ideas that influence whether or not we follow through with things. Uh, everything from procrastination, which there's fascinating research on, uh, to goal setting, which there isn't enough research on, even though there's great theories out there like the the model of goal-directed behavior, which uh, tells us that it's mostly desire that influences um, whether or not we want to go through with something. Uh, but when you, when I think you zoom out, when you look at the ingredients we can manage, um, it really comes down to time, like you were saying, but also attention and also energy. So I, I kind of see energy as the fuel that we burn over the course of the day in order to be productive. And attention is our, probably our most constrained capacity each and every day. So if we have very limited amount of time, 
we have a very constrained amount of attention because so many things are calling out for it throughout the day. Uh, and there's an interplay, not, not to nerd out too much, but I feel I'm in safe company here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm loving it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So there's an interplay between time and attention. And so when we have less attention, we feel as though we don't have enough time. And so, you know, a lot of people who will, uh, you know, binge watch a show, for an example, will say, I, I don't have time to read a book. <laughs> but really, it's that they don't have enough attention. Uh, and same with phone usage. You know, the screen time is through the roof. Uh, since COVID, it's been up near the, the point of 13 hours. That's the most reliable statistic that I've found. Um, so we have the time. It's just that we're spending it on other things. And the busier our mind becomes, the less time we feel as though we have because there's always this uh, underlying urgency behind what we're doing. And so we write off things. We, we, we tell ourselves this narrative that we don't have time for something, even though it's really a, a limit of attention. So maybe that's the opposite of where you want to go with the question, where it's like, what's step zero for becoming more productive? Uh, I think step zero is what is productivity, right? It's about intentionality. And what is it that can help us follow through with more of the things that we set out to do, which really comes down to those three ingredients, time, attention, and energy. So by understanding those, we can invest in strategies in each of those buckets, especially depending on where we find our uh, biggest constraints and, and challenges to be uh, in order to make more progress. Hmm. That's, I mean, I love the idea of intentionality relating to productivity and how you led with the example of holding pina coladas on the beach, because I think before before giving that example or explaining it the way you did, if you were to ask a hundred people, is drinking pina coladas on the beach productive? <laughs> I would guess 99 would say no, <laughs> yeah. because we, we kind of, or I, I don't know, I think I and most people think productivity boils down to work and doing mm. and taking action and relaxing and kind of enjoying isn't really wrapped up into that but if you mm. if you have more intention around it, i mean that just makes so much sense to me if you if you decide this is what i'm going to do today and maybe it's working for a few hours reading exercising mm. and you do all those things then that was a productive day i want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company i've been impressed by for years Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, 
visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah, exactly. And like, what is like, look at the word productivity, right? Uh, productivity, what do we want to produce with our time? That's how I think about it, right? We have a, a eight hours of work time in a day. What are we going to do with it? We have eight hours of personal time. If we're on a beach, maybe we have 16 hours of personal time. Maybe we have other things to do too. But you know, what are we going to, what, what is going to be different in the world or in our lives because we lived a day of our life? Like to me, mm-hmm. that's that's how I think it. Maybe it sounds a bit corny, but that that's how I think about it. Is productivity is about uh, progress, right? Ultimately, that is the value uh, that we're manifesting as we strive to become more productive. And uh, you know, I, I think values is a fascinating place, by the way, to to look at when you think about productivity, because ultimately, this is I think what we're all after. We we want to see that how we spent our days is a reflection of who we are on a fundamental human level. And when we can observe that alignment and we can observe ourselves manifesting our values through our actions. And so if we value being kind and then we uh, volunteer and we, we can connect quite deeply with that experience. Uh, and, and similarly, there might be an asymmetry of values. There might be a disconnect with what we value. Like maybe, maybe you do value giving and kindness and making a contribution, but maybe you find yourself working in a really cutthroat environment that's very uh, aggressive and about dominance. And those are values that some people have that maybe you don't have. And I personally don't really have. And so I wouldn't do well in an environment like that. Like it really does come down to, to human values. And the research on that is actually quite interesting too. There's, uh, I believe his name is Shalom Schwartz. He's, uh, he created the um, most commonly used and validated uh, measurement for values. Where And he says that there's essentially 10 values that we all share to some extent. So those are uh, self-direction. So whether we have this independent thought and action there, everything from stimulation is, is a fundamental value. Hedonism is a value. Achievement is also a value. So we can value making progress towards greater success. Uh, power is another one, security, conformity, uh, tradition, benevolence, and universalism, which is uh, understanding, appreciating, uh, tolerating people, nature, that sort of thing. And so these 10 values, we all have to some extent, right? Some of us are super high on achievement and really low on hedonism, for example. Uh, others of us are really high on universalism and benevolence, but maybe we're low on tradition. So we all kind of have a different sorting of values. And they're really, at the end end of the day, um, alignments more than anything, where there isn't something that is truly right or truly wrong. It's more of what makes us uh, each individuals and, and unique and um, you know, the, the differences that we have, which are good <laughs> between us all. So um, I think it's fascinating. I think that's ultimately like at the, when you go really, really close to the metal, really, really down, what 
is productivity about? I think that is the pursuit that can bring us the most meaning at work and in our life is this uh, alignment with what we truly value. Sorry, so if you're not, tangent, I, I don't know, but it's interesting. <laughs> well, no, but I, so am I understanding correctly then if you're not feeling very productive, let's say every time Saturday hits and you're kind of reflecting on the previous week, you just feel like it wasn't a productive week, then your actions aren't necessarily aligned with your values. I think it's it's quite a complex thing, <laughs> you know, when when it, when when we're kind of disassembling, essentially engagement is is where uh, I, I think uh, an idea that's close to to what you're describing, where engagement is a really fascinating phenomenon. So, um, you know, engagement is the process through which we actually make the progress. It's where the rubber meets the road, and interestingly. The, do you know what the, uh, can you guess maybe like what the opposite of engagement is? Uh, apathy. Oh, that's pretty good. It's burnout. <laughs> it's it's oh, burnout. Okay. <laughs> According to the reason, but that's pretty good. I feel like that wasn't very good. I feel like burnout is different than apathy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, researchers would say that. But You're being I, kind. I, I You're being kind. Yes. Okay. I, I personally thought it was good. Um, okay. But thank it, you. It's thank interesting. <laughs> it, it's interesting how. Uh, you know, burnout is a phenomenon that when we are burnt out, we have three things that are true about our situation. Uh, first of all, we are exhausted. Uh, and so a lot of people, you know, kind of equate exhaustion with burnout. But the research shows that there, it's just a third of it, actually. There's two other things that need to be true about our situation for us to qualify as being burnt out. Uh, the second is we need to feel ineffective at what we do. We need to feel fundamentally unproductive. Uh, and the third is we need to feel cynical. And so we need to feel this negativity behind what we do. And if you have one of these things, exhausted, cynical, or unproductive, you're on your way to being burnt out. It's kind of a stepping stone. Um, but if you have all three, you can qualify as being fully burnt out. But burnout is a spectrum, right? So if we have all three of these things, we're burnt out. If we have the opposite of these three things, uh, instead of being exhausted, we're fired up. Instead of being cynical, we feel there's a, a, a light behind what we do. Instead of feeling ineffective, we feel as though we make this difference in what we do every day. That's engagement. So burnout on one side, engagement on the other. And so the question then becomes, how do we move from one end to the other on this spectrum? And values is one thing that can move us from one end to the other. And so if you're feeling a sense of burnout, uh, you, can, you can invest in your values. You can journal about how you're able to manifest them. You can uh, reflect on, okay, how uh, aligned is what I do every day to my deep fundamental human values. Maybe the solution is stark, right? Maybe it's it's a matter of finding a an opportunity that's a better fit over the uh, longer arc of time that uh, honestly respects your mental health and uh, and you know the fit of your work a little bit better. Um, but sometimes we're able to mold the job a little bit to uh, to fit what what we care about. So values is one factor, but there's actually a lot of other factors about our work that can lead us toward either engagement or burnout. Uh, workload 
is another factor. So if we feel as though our workload is just too damn high, uh, we're far more likely to experience more stress from work, and that stress can lead us to exhaustion, cynicism, and feeling unproductive. It leads us to burnout. So values, workload, um, there's four more. Lack of control. So if we don't feel in control, we won't be engaged. Um, insufficient reward, which is everything from pay to uh, stock options, if that's a thing where you are, uh, to just being recognized for the contributions that you make. Uh, community is another one. So whether we feel as though we can connect with the people we work alongside. And fairness is the last one. The fairer things are, the more engaged we become. And so values, workload, control, reward, community, and fairness. It's So it's complex, right? And we all have a different uh, a, amount of alignment uh, where we that we have with our work. And so we all fare differently with regard to these six factors. And it's really, really personal at the same time. But it's fascinating how this idea of burnout and engagement, we can move from one end to the other by influencing these six factors. If someone thinks they're burnt out then, what can burnout kind of manifest as? Maybe they're not fully yeah. burned out. So is it just, if somebody says to you, I'm burnt out and I don't have time for anything that I want to do, like I want to get healthier and I want to prep meals for myself and I want to exercise, but I'm too burned out and I can't do any of that stuff. What would your response be? Yeah, I would say really look at your starting point. You know, there that one one activity, and I wrote a thing for uh, the Harvard Business Review that we can link to in the show notes, uh, where it's a simple activity. So that we have these six variables, where we all experience a different amount of stress from these six variables, and so some of these areas will be way out of whack, and others we might be doing totally okay in. And and this is something I found. Uh, uh, going through burnout myself is my workload was too high. My level of control could have been higher. Uh, I didn't have much of a sense of community, but values, I was relatively aligned and fairness, I was relatively aligned as well. And so we all have a, a different kind of uh, lopsided stress that we experience from some of these. And really it is stress and stress alone that leads us to a burnout phenomenon where burnout is caused when the amount of chronic stress in our days, so the stress that we face repeatedly, chronically in other words, um, it accumulates to a point where we can no longer sufficiently manage it. It exceeds that threshold and then we reach a point of burnout. And so ranking how well we're doing on each of these six factors, because these are the six areas that burnout uh, and chronic stress tends to metastasize inside of at our work uh, is, a, a very recommended thing for folks to do. And if you think that your level of uh, burnout might be clinical, most definitely get help. Uh, and definitely check out the Maslach Burnout Inventory. That's M-A-C-L-A-C-H, um, where Christi Dr. Christina Maslach, who uh, essentially is in my view, the world's foremost expert on the subject of burnout. Uh, I've had the chance to chat with her for my books and things like that. Great person, too. She had a fun story. She actually stopped the Stanford prison experiment. She was the only one that recognized oh. the toxicity of it at the time. 
um, the only one. <laughs> and yeah. later she'd actually go on to marry the guy that started it. Um, oh my gosh. She, yeah. So she has this incredible story. Um, wow. And, but she continues to uh, contribute just completely to this subject of of burnout research. And she targets those six areas and has boiled it all down to that, where these are the six areas that stress tends to grow inside of. Mm. You should have you her mentioned, on the part. I think she just uh, I know. came out with a book. Oh, I'm going to reach out to her. There you go. A great yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Let's talk about a productive podcast. Yeah. I'm talking to you. I'm getting other ideas. I mean... Great. And now, I'd like to welcome Christine. No, she's not here. <laughs> you just have other guests hiding in the, yeah, in the yeah, closet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I we want can to cover be respectful all of topics. your time. Yeah. yeah. I have your next four guests behind this door. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. One is my cat. I um, know. I already met the yeah. cat. That yeah. I mean, my husband's going to be real sad that I met that cat because it's oh. so cute. And now I I'm just going to... I think you're going to lose a lot of listeners after that episode comes out with Eleanor. I, it might be a little, a little quiet. Yeah, yeah, it might be. Just with the odd purring trill. I don't know. We were talking, though. I feel like if Eleanor the cat could talk, I feel like she would have a lot to say. She's yeah, adorable she'd have, for listeners out there. Yeah, she'd have some hot goss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of it might be about you, though, so that could be a problem. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> Think of who she's observing all day long, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it could be bad. <laughs> Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. You mentioned uh, procrastination. And I know you've talked about the idea of productive procrastination. Mm. So can you talk more about that? Yeah. Well, delaying anything that we don't have to uh, make a decision about where the approach matters is uh, often worth delaying. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I, I, I find this with the uh, a lot of the bigger projects that I'm working on where the approach really, really matters. Or, uh, you know, if you're typing up an email that's delicate, maybe it's political, I think we should delay things that will benefit from extra time and extra attention. Uh, really, it's more attention that we're giving things in addition to the time, right? Because we continue to wander, to think about things. Like, one of, one of the, there should be a name for this feeling where when we're talking to somebody and we say something that, like, or maybe it gets heated or something, and then later on, when we're in the shower, the perfect thing to say mm. hits us. It's like, oh, I could have gotten them back if I had only came back with that thing. And I, I think work is much the same way, 
where we don't want to ship too soon and, and, and think about all of the ways that something could have been better, um, where we weren't able to make it better because we shipped it too soon. Now, you know, obviously satisficing, there's a lot of great advice on that idea where if you try to make everything perfect, um, you may never do anything. You may never finish anything because you keep waiting for perfection. Your work becomes the equivalent of that progress bar that stops at 99% and never quite finishes transferring, right? Um, mm-hmm. But procrastination is, uh, but here's the, the interesting thing. So I call it pro- productive procrastination, but a procrastination researcher might take issue with that because <laughs> the thing about procrastination, speaking of intention, right, is procrastination is always unintentional. So we never truly want to be doing it. Um, and a lot of folks have described it as giving in to feeling good. And sure enough, the, the character trait that's most highly correlated with procrastination uh, is impulsiveness. And so the more impulsive of a person we are, uh, the more likely we are to procrastinate on the things that are on our plate. But fortunately, there are a lot of kind of strategies we can invest in to do so, but uh, to, to overcome the phenomenon. But uh, I think the key is, you know, know how long things will take. And maybe especially if you're a, a bit less impulsive, it's okay to delay doing things that, requ- that, that benefit from a bit more thought. How do you feel about using your Google Calendar or your planner, for example, and just scheduling time for things to help you be more productive. Is that based in research? So like what I mean is I literally schedule walks and workouts for myself because when I think about kind of the pillars of health of nutrition and managing stress and sleeping and moving my body, movement's not the one that comes easiest to me. I, I would just at the end of the day have a thousand steps on my Fitbit and jump right into the couch and read my book. So I put into my calendar, I schedule in there walk. And so I see that coming up as like a meeting with myself at the end of the day or the same with working out. And that gets me out there. Is this a good strategy to do or even to schedule something like reading? If it's a busy mom, you know, who wants to, whose value is kind of, relaxing more and finding more time for themselves. Is it, is that a good thing to do to schedule all these things? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, And there's a lot of research on uh, what is called an implementation intention. Uh, And so essentially, you know, there's different, uh, I I like to think of it as a, a depth of intentionality. And so we can have sort of shallow intentions like uh, like we said around New Year's a lot of the time. So New Year's rolls around. It's like, oh, I want a six pack by February 1st or whatever over ambitious goal we have that where we're not kind to ourselves whatsoever. Uh, but the, the idea behind an implementation intention is we decide uh, when, where, and how we're going to follow through with something. And mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to do this as much with goals that we uh, won't struggle to follow through with. And so if you have the goal of, I don't know, eating a a chocolate bar every evening, um, 
you won't need a lot of motivation to do that. The, the behavior itself provides you with uh, a sufficient amount of positive reinforcement where you're going to gravitate to eating the chocolate bar, right? That's the problem <laughs> is, is that, that, that lack of positive reinforcement sometimes uh, or when that reinforcement is over a medium or longer arc of time. But implementation intentions work especially well with goals that are aversive, that we find aversive, which um, has actually a connection with the procrastination research where there are certain attributes that a task can have that make us more likely to procrastinate on it. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to remember. The, um, they're whether something is boring, whether something is frustrating, whether something is difficult, whether something is ambiguous, unstructured, lacking in personal meaning or lacking in intrinsic rewards. And so the process of doing it isn't that fun. And the more of these things that a task sets off, the more likely we are to put it off. And so take doing your taxes or moving every day or uh, eating healthfully or changing a lot of habits around that. Those goals are quite boring. <laughs> they're quite frustrating. They're difficult. They're unstructured. Um, they're, they're, maybe they're not lacking in personal meaning, uh, but they're definitely lacking in intrinsic rewards. And so we put it off, especially once the initial uh, motivation phase wanes um, and we no longer have that initial, uh, initial uh, kind of uh, momentum in following through with the goal. And so implementations can really, really help us a lot, especially when we get into the habit of setting them and following through with them uh, during a time when we have that initial motivation, because then we can uh, form the, the habit to decide when, where, how we'll do something. Maybe at the start of the week, you can schedule all of these things, practice following through with them, because goals really begin the moment our motivation disappears, right? Because that's mm -hmm. when it's uh, more uh, mental labor for us to follow through with something. A goal is easy if it's eating a chocolate bar, so it's not aversive, um, or if we have that initial burst of motivation, but then there's the dip, right? And so the question becomes, wh what do we need to get through that dip? And these more detailed intentions, so instead of, you know, move today as one of your daily intentions, maybe at 3 p.m. outside in the forest with my wife, I will go for a 35-minute walk. You know, something where you think through exactly how something will happen and you create the space for it to happen during that time. And so when that time comes, the hard part's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's so smart. I mean, if your struggle is sleep, you know, setting some type of alarm for bedtime or putting yeah. some type of actions or systems in place yeah. so that you get to bed early enough, it, you know, identifying what is it for you or what are the things for you that are your most challenging yeah. and then coming up with systems. And I, one time I saw I think he was a personal trainer. He posted on Instagram that your Google calendar is the most underrated tool for reaching your health goals or something. And I thought that's just brilliant. That's so smart. And, yeah. you know, you talk about at the beginning of the week, 
maybe going through and putting them into your calendar. And I was doing that for a long time. And then I realized I could just set recurring calendar events. So now I think it's at 5 p.m. every day. There's an hour blocked off and it says walk or something. (laughs) So at the beginning of the week now, they're all in there. So I just have to move them to the times that work. So it's even easier. Um, So I find for me, I, I think I assume this is human nature. If it's as easy as possible for me to kind of schedule these things or, you know, that I have this system in place so that I'll follow through with it. Those are, that's the way I'm going to do it. And, and then I'll hear clients say, you know, you mentioned motivation. Oh, I just don't feel motivated anymore. I was last week. And I say, I've been going on walks for years and I don't think I've one day felt (laughs) motivated. I'm not running outside excited to do it. I honestly am not. I'm just kind of like, here's my walk again, but I try to make it more fun. I have a podcast or an audio book or something. So I think that's important as well. But if you rely on motivation, you're pretty much screwed, right? (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah. And and another thing that always, um, not surprises, not, uh, not baffles. I don't know the right word. Um, but goals should be more fun. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what part of it is of us. And maybe it's the same part where all the guilt comes from when we don't follow through with the goal. Uh, where, you know, we feel as though goals have to be this slog. And we feel like, oh, if we're making positive changes, no fun whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I will, I need this six pack by February 1st. And by God, I... I will do what it takes to get there because it's grit, it's determination, it's all these ingredients that will make me successful. Rise and grind and hustle, baby. No, no, there's, I don't, I don't, maybe it's just me, but I never am able to connect with that approach because um, I want to enjoy following through with the goals that I set. And so my, my whole thing, is I don't care how slowly progress happens, as long as the progress continues to happen. Um, if motiv- When I have that initial burst of motivation, that is the leverage point for making goals more fun, more motivating, more structured, um, and you know, do what you can. Maybe it's uh, for every minute you spend exercising, you put a dollar or 50 cents in a frivolous spending account, and that flips a lot of the triggers of procrastination, becomes less boring, less frustrating, less difficult, more of a game, more fun, more engaging, less stressful, right? Um, and so I think, you know, uh, and some of that's a reframe, but we can genuinely reward ourselves after following through with things. Um, mm-hmm. If we uh, find it aversive to meditate every day, what about for every minute you spend meditating, that gives you a minute on social media, and that's the only time you're allowed social media. Maybe with enough meditation, you'll get off social media entirely, yeah. but that's another <laughs> point. Um, you know, so we don't have enough fun while we're at our goals. And so fun is obviously so subjective, but uh, I think such a worthwhile question to ask, especially during the initial burst of motivation is how can I make this sustainable? How can I make this fun? And that gets you questioning, you know, if you can't make it fun, why do I want to make a change? You know, and there have been a lot of changes in my own uh, life. So I, I do a lot of productivity experiments on myself where I sort of use myself as a guinea pig to push on the limits of 
uh, what I'm able to accomplish mentally, physically each and every day. And one, one of these experiments was waking up at 5.30 every morning uh, for mm-hmm. a month. And so I am not I am not an early riser whatsoever. Um, there is a great app, if you talk about sleep on the podcast, called Rise. I don't know if you've mm. heard of it, where uh, it looks at your circadian rhythms throughout the day and tells you when to do your most important tasks. I don't have any affiliation with them. I'm just really liking the app right now. My peak productivity times are uh, <laughs> around 10 a.m. and around uh, 11 p.m. <laughs> And so it, the, the the schedule did not fit with my yeah. internal wiring. And but I eventually I had the routine that productivity dreams are made of, right? Woke up at 5:30 every morning, meditated, went for a run, did a workout, read the paper before the rest of the world woke up. But quickly realized that I absolutely hated the ritual. I had to go to bed when people wanted to hang out and all these things, but it was that initial sepia-toned fantasy of what my day-to-day would be like after I made the change that kept me motivated through it. But then I realized that the reality was very different from the fantasy. So I think thinking about the day-to-day, how to make things more fun, um, and whether a change is aligned to what you value and what you wish to accomplish, I think is so critical. Uh, I, I can't even count how many changes I've tried to make that I ended up dropping simply because at the end, they weren't really what I wanted. And by the mm-hmm. way, for the uh, late risers, there is no difference. Hello. Uh, in, <laughs> Me too. Our, there's no difference in our socioeconomic standing based on what time we wake up at. It's what we do with the hours of our day after we wake up that make the difference in how successful we are overall. So there's this idea that the early bird gets the worm, but the research doesn't quite. Uh, that has honestly been the invented for my life. <laughs> Just people have always said that. And I've always thought that that needs to be the case, yeah. but I am not an early bird. No. And I, if I sleep longer, I am so much more, efficient and productive in fewer hours. And I get just as much done as I would. I guarantee you if I got up earlier and I was like flogging through the day, it just, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm very happy to feel vindicated by a productivity expert who just said, I'm allowed to sleep in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. Perfect. Well, one of the final questions I ask each of my guests, is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? What does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, yeah, I'll get my extemporaneous answer as opposed to oh, a God. well thought out one. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it it's a process. What it means to make the health investment is to realign constantly toward not only our goals, but what we deem to be important in work and in life. And I think it's important, the realign constantly part. And you just gave the example that you've tried to implement different goals that maybe society has set. I mean, there's all those books, right? The Miracle Morning, I think one is, or, you know, your morning routine. And when those are having their moment, it feels like, oh, an early morning routine is what I have to do. Yeah. Or 
for somebody else, you know, intermittent fasting, that's what I have to do. But then you, you learn if the thing doesn't work for you, usually people just then feel guilty or bad or something's wrong with them. But as you showed and through your example, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just different and you're you're productive later in the day. Yeah. So just constantly realigning and, and evaluating, you know, like, is this working for me rather than just, I have to do what all these people say I need to do that have no idea what my lifestyle is like. Yeah. Like I I think it's always worth questioning the goals that we have that come from the narratives of the world around us that tell us that we have to be a certain way or behave a certain way. Um, like, oh, you need to spend all your money so you can keep up with the Joneses. You need to, mm-hmm. uh, you only live once. Why not eat the six of these uh, donuts? You know, why? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, and this is something that I, I, I write about a lot is this experimental approach that I think is so, so necessary when it comes to improving ourselves in any way. Uh, not everything will work. And especially with productivity advice, it's, it's personal productivity. So we have to take what works for us and leave the rest. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if something has, you know, if you've tried it four or five times and it still hasn't stuck, I give you permission to drop it if you don't feel like it's good for you. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I say this partly to myself as well, right? I, I feel I'm always have to, I always have to give myself permission to do the same. But uh, if we can take what works for us, leave the rest, um, calibrate for our, our own uh, individuality and our own values in the goals that we set, we're far more likely to achieve them. Uh, the set of goals that we're striving for at any given time will be far more likely to achieve because they'll be aligned to who we are and what we value. And we'll become a, a more active participant in the goals that we set. So instead of uh, adopting ones like, oh, I, I want to lose 20 pounds because that's a nice round number and I have 10 fingers. And so we all have a base <laughs> 10 accounting system that it's two tens, right? Uh, no, like what is what do you want? What do you want to be different, right? In your own life, in your own health, and why? Is there a deeper why? Is that connected to what you value? And if so, then have at it, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Where can listeners follow you and find you and tell us more about your books? Yes. Well, the books, I have three of them. Uh, the Productivity Project is the first one about uh, a year of experiments that I did. Uh, Hyperfocus is my second one, which is about the science of attention and how to calm your mind is the third one, which is about uh, anxiety and productivity and how calm can help us get there, even if it's not something we seek by default. Um, they're mm-hmm. available bookstores everywhere in 37 languages now, I think, which I was oh myself about. <laughs> um, and so those are the books. And my website is chrisbailey.com. You can find all the books there, my newsletter, uh, my podcast uh, that I do with my wife, who I think I mentioned once or twice. Uh, it's called Time and Attention, which fits kind of what we've been chatting about. <laughs> well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. 
On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.